was determined that I was going to play third base. I wanted to be at the hot corner. And I wanted to be that, that name that they called out. Dove to his right, caught the ball up on his feet, and threw him out. Folks, what a play. That's what I wanted. And so I was diving everywhere. Rarely did I come close to the ball. I mean, if the ball was hit over the shortstop's head, I was still diving to my left, acting like I was going to make the play. And you could hear people chuckle in the stands like, well, at least the kids got heart, you know. And uh, when, I, when I hit junior high school, I had a coach who watched me play third base, and, and uh, you know, he put me in now and then. But our catcher got hurt. And he said, uh, Blackburn, I want you to try catching. I didn't want to catch. That was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. I mean, I like Johnny Bench and all that kind of stuff, but, but who wants to squat for all that time behind home plate? I mean, that just looked painful to me. And, and who wanted somebody throwing that ball as hard as they could straight at your head and you had to catch it every time? If it went in the dirt, it was your fault that you didn't stop it and the guy scored from third. I didn't want to be a catcher. It just seemed like it was, it was way out there for me. Now, my coach was wise. Because my coach watched me play third base, and he knew how anxious I was to be a good player, but he also knew how ADD I was. And he knew that for me to stand there and focus in a ready position and be completely ready for that ball to come, it wasn't going to happen. In fact, all I was thinking about as I was down in that ready position was, all right, which way do I get to dive? All right, this is going to be awesome. And the ball comes straight at me, and it goes through my legs. All right, because I was prepared to make the big play, not just the ordinary play. So he put me behind the plate. And you know what? I loved it. I would give just about any amount of money that I have to be able to go back to my junior high and high school days and crouch down behind a plate again without my knees creaking and without standing up and going, oh, that hurts and to play a game as a catcher again. It was, it was like it was, it was a cookie cutter for me. I discovered what it was that I was supposed to be in my favorite sport. Because the ADD stuff went out the window. I mean, if you're not paying attention to that ball coming straight at you, forget the diving stuff. I mean, there was plenty of opportunity to have to scoot out and scoop up a, you know, a ball that's coming in the dirt. So that kept me alert. But I was calling every pitch. This is awesome. I'm in on every play. Every time that the ball is thrown, I get to catch it, and I get to throw it back, and then I get to call the next pitch. Now, when you're talking junior high baseball back then, they protected kids' arms a lot more than they do today, and so there weren't a lot of curveball. There wasn't a whole lot to call. It's either a fastball or a changeup. And I was pretty good at making a 50-50 choice, you know. And so... I was in my element. I loved being a catcher. And you say, what is it that's so important about discovering your purpose? Well, for the last uh, few Sundays, we've been talking about God's game plan, his perfect game plan. And we believe that God has really been, been speaking to us as leadership at Next Church and, and kind of revitalizing in our minds and in our hearts what his game plan is for us. We feel like God is, is really calling us to, to consistently teach the message and, and really surround ourselves with a message that, that we need to, first of all, follow Jesus. He's the ultimate coach. 
He's the one that has the perfect playbook, remember? The perfect playbook. And he wants us to, to know that perfect playbook. He wants us to be in the Word, but more importantly than that, he wants the Word to get in to us. We also believe that, that God's will is for us to connect with each other. That's why he created all of us. That's why he has put so much of himself into our lives, is because he wants us to be unified and connect with each other. Our destiny is not a mystery. Our destiny as Christians is to follow the coach and connect with each other. Because you see, God relentlessly pursues a relationship with us. And just as relentlessly as he pursues that with us, he wants us to be pursuing that with each other. And while we connect with each other, he is going to teach us and remind us and help us to discover what he wants us to be what he wants us to do. So we're going to talk today about discovering purpose and why that's so important. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. John, who was one of the disciples who followed Jesus and, and learned from Jesus, saw how, how important it was to follow him. He saw how important it was that Jesus connected with others. Okay? And he saw how important it was for them to discover who they were. Every one of those disciples, if you do an in-depth study, which we don't have time for this morning, but maybe somewhere down the line we'll do an in-depth study of what we know about the personalities of each one of those disciples. They were all radically different from each other. Okay, you had everywhere from the sons of thunder to the guy who was a tax collector to the fisherman. I mean, you know, all these guys were so radically different, and yet Jesus chose to connect with them for a reason. He saw purpose and definition and wanted them to discover that for their own lives. If anyone obeys his word, John says, love for God is truly made complete in them. All right, so we got to follow the perfect, the, the perfect playbook, and we have to know the perfect playbook, and if we obey his playbook, then he becomes complete in us. This is how we know that we are in him, John goes on to say. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now the message that Jesus taught was a message of grace and love. Connected. All right? Grace and love. And how we connect with others. The other thing that, that Jesus made very clear is Jesus himself followed. He was all God and yet all man while he walked on this earth. That's the great miracle, the great mystery that we don't understand, but somehow God came down because we couldn't get to him. All right, And while he was here, he told us, it is my job to follow the will of the Father. Now again, uh, I know that that's, that's a, a, a very difficult and complex thing to understand, how we have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all one God, and yet distinctly different. All right, and while Jesus was walking here, he gave up being divine and his right to heavenly things, all right, and yet he still was God. We can't figure that out. Now, let me just ask you this question. If we could figure out everything about God, would he be worth worshiping and following? No. No, we'd get tired of him eventually and go follow something else. There is something powerful about the mysteries of God and the things that we cannot explain here on this earth. And yet one day, 
he says we will fully understand. Okay? So Jesus is all God and yet somehow all man as he's walking here on this earth and he followed the Father. All right? Are you following me? We've got follow. All right? He also connected with people. He connected with his disciples and everywhere he went there were people who were hungry to see him, be healed by him, be fed by him. Everywhere he went he connected with people. And then he said over and over again, my purpose is to come and seek and save those that are lost. The Father's purpose is being made known through me, he said. So there you go. The first three things that we've talked about in this perfect game plan are following, connecting, and then discovering our purpose. Jesus said this whole thing of discovering our purpose for life is extremely important. In fact, it's so important that everything I do is going to aim at following, connecting, and discovering your purpose. And then next week, we're going to talk about serving and how Jesus showed us how to do that. But today, we're going to camp out just a little bit on discovering our purpose. Do you know that even secular psychologists, sociologists will say that one of the greatest needs of men of mankind, of human beings, is to discover who I am and why am I here. Who am I and why am I here? Those two questions, left unanswered or somehow skewed within the culture, lead to a lot of different things. Most addictions come out of a lack of an answer for those questions. Most, most suicides in our society, in our culture, come out of a lack of answering properly those two questions what is the meaning of life Jesus came to not only show us the answer to that question and to leave us with his perfect game plan that answers that question but he also came so that we could answer that question on an individual level you see Jesus died on the cross not just to save his church he loves the church in fact he compared it to his bride all right, that's how incredible. We are, as his church, as a group, we are engaged to him. We are engaged in him. And one of these days, the Bible tells us he's going to come back and he's going to gather his bride, the church. Now again, it's one of those things that's, that's kind of out there and hard to understand. But yet, that is, that is an analogy that is precious to Jesus. And he wants us to know that that's what we mean to him. But it goes beyond that, folks. That's an individual analogy as well. He wants you to know that you are the church. Individually, it is you that he has that kind of love and affection for. Individually, it is, it is you and it is me that he longs to have us discover our purpose. And the reason he wants us to discover that on an individual level is this. He said it's so that you might have life and you might live it more abundantly that's not just talking about the church that's talking about us as individuals that's why the terminology that's used oftentimes in the new testament is about individual people it's ecclesia it's a group of individual people who are called out to follow him let's go to james another one of uh, jesus uh, acquaintances uh, he became a follower later on of Jesus. He's actually, this, this particular James that wrote this book is strongly believed by scholars to have been 
Jesus' brother, James. Took him a while to kind of figure out, okay, this guy really is the Messiah. I grew up with him, and I saw him, and you know what? Uh, I, I just, it's hard for me to believe that the guy who was born into my household, my brother, is the Messiah that's been promised for so long. And finally, even James himself, the brother of Jesus, embraced the fact that, yes, this is God. James 1, verses 16 through 18. James says this, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. All right, so he says, everything that Jesus wants you to discover about yourself and what he has gifted you to do, who he has gifted you to be, more importantly, is a gift that is perfect and it's from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. All right, why does he throw that in there? He wants us to know that we can trust that gift. It's not something that's just sort of flippantly given. It's not something that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's not like my ability to play catcher in baseball. All right, even as as bad as I was and, and never really that great of a talent, I had fun and I was pretty decent. Now it's hard for me, and you saw just how difficult it was for me to even get down 90 degrees, okay, into a ready position. All right, those knees just won't do it anymore. So the skill is fleeting. I mean, it's gone. When God gives gifts, he wants us to use those gifts, and they don't just disappear like other gifts. Now, it's true that in the natural realm, um, you know, someone who may be able to sing really incredibly in their 20s, 30s, and even 40s, by the time they're 60 and 70, maybe that is waning a little bit. But there are still gifts that are attached to that musically that we can continue to glorify God with. All right, so it's, it's not like God gives us gifts and, and then they just, hey, they disappear. You want to know the only time that God gives us gifts and they, they disappear is when we fail to use them. We fail to practice what God has given us. I have found that true in, in so many areas of my life, even when it comes to interpersonal relationships. If you don't practice the, the proper use of interpersonal relationships, it's a skill, it's a gift that can disappear. You can be non-effective after a while. The same thing is true with teaching. These gifts that God gives, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But he chose to give us birth through the word of God. Okay, It's not changing like shifting shadows. In fact, he says, look, I'm building in you my permanent church. Remember when he met with Peter? And, And he said, look, upon this church, Peter, I call you a rock. And upon this church, I will build my, or upon this rock, I will build my church. There we go, got it right. Upon this rock, I will build my church. What he's saying is that I am establishing something that can't be moved. And I'm establishing it in you. He's establishing and wants to establish in us something that is powerful and can be used for his glory. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that is permanent that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. That seems like a strange thing to put in there, a kind of first fruits for all that he created. That, that phrase first fruits is something that is very important in teaching the word of God. In fact, it goes way back to the Old Testament. Now, 
the weird part is he's talking about resources back in the Old Testament. Anything that, that you grew or anything that you did with your hands, whatever it was, it was required that you bring a certain percentage, a tithe, a 10% of all of the first fruits, the best, all right, the first of it. And you would give 10% to him. And that's how he established and continued his work. And we believe that that's a precept that he continues to build upon in the church. But that's not what this message is about this morning. What this message is about is that that first fruits he talks about is the best that he has put in you. You see, God doesn't just require stuff of us and then say, yep, that's what I want to do is I, I want to abuse what I have required of you. God gives every perfect gift and he doesn't just require 10% of himself. You ever thought about that? When he gives a perfect gift, he gave all of himself. And all he asks for us in return is that we take that gift, build upon that resource. And, and, and he does. He gives us these great precepts and, and talks about you can't outgive me. You know, if you're generous with, with your resources, then, then you will find that I will open up heaven and I will bless you. All right, now that's not why we give. And when he says, I'll open up heaven and I'll bless you, it doesn't mean that he's going to make you rich. Don't mistake me for that. All right, I'm not talking, this, this, is not, this is not name it, claim it, get rich theology here. Okay, it's just when we are obedient, there is a peace that he sends to us that passes all understanding. We can never outgive God. And that's true when it comes to discovering the gifts that he gives. If we hoard those gifts, if we recognize, well, you know, I have this ability and I don't know, man, if I, if I step into that, then boy, people are going to require an awful lot of me. I'm not sure I even want to get that started. And so we hold back what God wants us to generously give. And then we wonder why there's not peace in our lives. I want to give you an illustration from another game, and it's a game called football. It's not American football, but it's football around the world. And it's another game that I grew up playing, and, and that's soccer. Now, having played soccer, um, when my boys were of age, I was kind of anxious to coach it as well. And uh, so I did a little bit of coaching in, in soccer. And there was this one kid that was on, on uh, our oldest son's team, Davey. And uh, this, this young man had, in, in soccer terms, man, he had a leg, all right? And I mean, he had a leg. This kid could kick the ball, just a little tiny dude. And somehow he was gifted to the point where he, he met that ball at just the perfect point of impact. And that ball would just, it was like it exploded off of his foot. And so naturally, his parents thought that he should be the star on the team because he could kick it harder than anybody else. And where does the star on a soccer team play? Well, in most people's thinking, he's going to be right up front center, one of the strikers. And so, you know, his parents told me this, and I said, well, okay, you know, let's, let's try him out as a striker. And so we, we put him right up front. Now, this kid had a problem. He was faster than anybody else on the field. He had a better leg than anybody else on the field. The problem is, when he made eye contact with his target, he hit that target. You say, well, Pastor Dave, what's the problem? The problem is, he would always look at the goalie, and he would blast that ball, and the ball would hit the goalie. Literally, the goalie, if he was ready to shoot the ball, and I, and I kid you not, this was extraordinary. Every time he was ready to shoot the ball, boom, 
it would just bounce off the goalie. I mean, that goalie, whether he got his hands up or not, that ball was going to hit the goalie. The goalie didn't have to move. And so we tried working with him at practice and saying, okay, imaginary target uh, to the right of where the goalie would stand, you know, kind of upper part of the, of the net. And uh, he would go back out there and he would blast the goalie again. No, 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 no. Target's up here. I even went so far as to put shirts up on the goal, on the back side of the goal, on the netting, and I would tie them in there and say, okay, hit the shirt. And as long as the goalie wasn't standing in there, he would nail the shirt. Boom! And I'd say, that's it, that's it. That's what we want you to do in a game. And so we went out to the very next game, and I thought, okay, we got this, man. I mean, there is nobody going to stop this kid. And he went right at it, boom, knocked the goalie down. Ball bounced off the goalie. One of our other guys put it in the net. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that works for me. That's all right. But his parents are getting upset all this time because they thought he was going to be the superstar. Instead, he's actually feeding the ball off the goalie to somebody else, and they're kicking it in the goal. And so finally, uh, you know, I thought to myself, all right, what we really need is this kid is so awesome. We need him on a wing. I need him out on one of the wings, and he could kick left-footed or right-footed, so I thought, okay, most kids his age can only kick right. I'm going to put him on the left wing. So put him out on the left wing, boom. He'd cross that ball perfectly at his teammate. Oh, now we got something. Hey, this is good. He's probably not going to score much, but we can hit the other guy, and that guy will score. And you know what? Long story short, parents were upset at me. The parents thought that he needed to be front and center, you know, in, in everything. This kid started enjoying being the assist leader, not only on our team, but in the entire league. He racked up more assists. That if, if you don't know what an assist is, it's, it's kind of a hard word to say, but an assist is, is where you feed someone else and they get the glory, all right? That's, that's kind of the sporting definition of, of assist. And so he was feeding guys right and left and they were scoring, and I thought, man, I don't even have to coach now. I mean, just, hey, get the ball to Steven, left wing, and let's go. <laughs> and we were having a whole lot of fun. You see, there is joy in discovering our purpose. God has uniquely gifted you in ways that he has not gifted other people. Let me give you some examples of how that's happening here at Next Church. We have people that are serving in the kids' areas. Now, some are serving in the kids' areas even though they don't feel like it's necessarily their greatest gift, but they're doing it because they experience joy. When you're serving kids, understand this. You are molding lives that by the time they are nine years of age, even secular psychologists will say that their spiritual aptitude is already set. It is very, very difficult after nine years of age to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because your, your trail has already been set through this life. That's what psychologists say. Now, we serve a God who is far different than that. He will save people no matter what. The problem is when we have already set our course ourselves, it's hard to get to that point where we ask for it, where we recognize that we need it. And there are habits that kids form by the time they're nine years of age, they either lead them toward Jesus or move them away. People who serve kids have the joy of getting to see that happen. They have the joy of making discovery exciting for kids. They have the joy of, of 
giving energy to depleted parents who need so badly to be in a worship environment and they're watching their kids in the nursery or in the preschool or in the elementary and not just watching but building into their lives we have greeters and ushers and you even notice that that here at next church we have parking lot attendants we believe that that's more than just shaking a hand and saying hi and trying to remember names we believe very strongly that that literally those individuals are setting the table for a morning of expectant views of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. We believe that, that greeters and ushers, parking lot assistants, are reminding folks how important they are individually and how important they are to us at Next Church. We have cleaning crews here at Next Church. Now some of you may think that, that we actually uh, hire that out or we just use the cleaning crew from the Boys and Girls Club every Saturday night. We have a crew that comes through and cleans, cleans the bathrooms, uh, gets everything spick and span, and as much as you can with a gymnasium and other things, but gets everything as clean as we can. And then on Sunday, before we leave and shut down, that crew goes back through and cleans it again to make sure it's all set for the Boys and Girls Club on Monday. Their ministry to next is, is not even describable. And here's the cool part. We get comments. When we were meeting in a school, we got comments. And here we get comments that we leave the place looking better than when we got there. You suppose there's a little bit of Christ-likeness in that? You know? I mean, it seems so simple, but yet so powerful. We have set-up and tear-down crews. We have people that do video. We have people that do audio. We have, we have our, our worship leaders that lead us every Sunday morning. I mean, we just have the incredible opportunity to be able to set the table for what Jesus wants to teach us through his word. And that's why we do what we do. We don't do it just because it's, it's fun and we feel particularly gifted in, in cleaning toilets or whatever, although, man, I'll tell you what, there are some folks that are really gifted in cleaning toilets because when you go in there, the toilets are spick and span, <laughs> all right? So we have some very gifted people that way. We have the joy of discovering external gifts as well as internal gifts. Here's what Irma Bombeck, who is the great comedic author and philosopher, wonderful lady. I love reading Irma Bombeck. She said this, she said, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I don't have one single bit of a talent left. And I can say to him, I used everything you gave me. That's kind of a pipe dream because humanly we're probably not going to be able to use everything every ounce of strength that he's given us but boy what a thing to shoot for huh what a thing to shoot for not because we want accolades not because we want to look good or not even really because we want next church to look good although that's that's not a bad thing to do since we are the bride of christ you know making his bride look good it makes him look good but the whole reason we want to do this is because it brings him honor and glory. I like to refer to this as the impact life. What I pray, and I'm starting to pray this all the time now. You know, I'm, at 55 years of age, I look and think, you know, I, I often go where I shouldn't go. I start to think, okay, how many real years of ministry do I have left? And then I start thinking about all the mistakes I've made in ministry. Wow, how much time do I have to redeem myself, you know? 
and, and it, it becomes really real. Um, and, and I shouldn't go there. But what I think about often is, Lord, I'm not praying to be successful. I'm not praying to have a lot of stuff. I want, I want to have a life that made an impact. I've done so many funerals, folks, in my life, and I have sat at the bedside of people who are dying, and I have yet to hear anybody say, man, wish I'd have gone to the Bahamas more. Wow, wish I'd have had a bigger car, cooler car. I have never heard anybody say that. I've heard people make statements like, wish I'd have spent more time as a dad. Wish I would have really let God do something that he wanted to do in my life instead of just telling him what I wanted him to do. Wish I would have paid more attention to really discovering my purpose. See, true joy comes when we are equipped to discover, develop, and donate what God has given us. 1 Peter 4.10, you saw it in the video earlier, I'm just going to read it for you real quick. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The whole process of discovering is first letting him show us, spending the time discovering what it is he wants us to do, develop that, and then donate, use it for his glory. Now, you know, you say, well, that word donate just doesn't fit in there. Well, you've got to remember, I'm still a preacher, okay, and everything's got to, you know, follow with the D's. If I start with a D, it's got to end with a D. Okay, so I couldn't throw the word use it in there, all right? So discover, develop, and donate the gifts, the strengths that God has given to us. We don't discover it by sitting on the sidelines. All right, so let me just put a shameless plug in here. In two weeks, on the 23rd, for two straight Sundays, the 23rd and the 30th, we're going to be going through what we call conversations after the service, okay? And we're inviting everyone to stick around for lunch. We're making arrangements. We're not sure what that's going to look like yet, but we're making arrangements for everybody to have lunch. And then... Uh, if, you know, if you absolutely can't stay, that's understandable. Uh, don't, you know, don't feel guilty about it or anything like that. But, but we would love to have everyone stick around because you get the opportunity of a lifetime. We won't be doing these conversations like that really often, all right? We won't be doing them over lunch or things like that. We'll generally have to choose another night during the week or something like that and do it off-site. But for these two Sundays, we're going to offer it right here. Now, some of you say, what are conversations? Well, just to be real short and brief with you, it's kind of like what we used to call in, in previous churches, you called it membership class, all right? And for us, we don't, we don't push membership to the church as much as what a lot of churches do. We push membership in the body of Christ, and we like to call it partnership, all right? We feel like partnering with each other is a stronger way to look at this, all right? And, and membership is not something that has its privileges, okay? You argue with American Express about that, and other churches think, well, once I become a member, then I can tell them how to do stuff, you know? Well, that's not what, that's not what partnership is. Partnership is we grab hands together and we say, man, let's go take this world for Jesus. Let's go do this, okay? And that's what these conversations are about. 
and we're going to do two on the 23rd and we're going to do two on the 30th and we promise that we will not keep you here for more than about 45 minutes okay we'll grab something to eat real quick come right back in here and we will go at it okay maybe an hour oh tom says an hour okay well my part will be short tom's may be long <laughs> But seriously, we don't discover by sitting on the sidelines, all right? And so we're, we're inviting everybody. We're not, not pressuring, we don't want to push, but we want to strongly invite. Man, let's discover together. Let's do this fun stuff together. Discover what God has called us to do, and then develop. Develop that, okay? There's a difference between, and this teaching is for another time, but there's a difference between spiritual gifts and natural gifts that God wants us to use in spiritual ways. Okay? The spiritual gifts that you often read about, that's teaching for another time. And I promise you we'll do that. But what this is really about is discovering those natural gifts that God has given us that he wants us to use in spiritual ways to really build his kingdom. Uh, there's a really famous basketball player, Allen Iverson. And I don't know if any of you remember Allen's very famous uh, his, his very famous rant. He was being disciplined by his coach for missing practice, and they were about to go into the playoffs. He misses practice, and uh, he goes before the media, and the media says, well, what about this? You missed practice. And he has this famous rant where he says, practice, practice. I, you know, he kind of has that Indiana accent, and so I got to try to do the Indiana accent. Practice? You're talking to me about practice? Man, pra practice? Practice? Are you serious? Practice? And he went on and on saying practice over and over. You can actually YouTube it if you really want a little bit of hilarity in your life. And he just goes on and on about practice. And he's talking to the media. And I mean, he gets hammered over this, okay? And, and really, what he was telling everybody there is essentially, I'm too good, I'm too busy, I'm overqualified, I don't need to go through team development. I got it together. I don't need your game plan. When I get to the game, just feed me the ball and we'll win. Interesting that Allen Iverson never won the big game. Isn't it? Kind of intriguing. Donate. Donate the gifts that God has blessed you with. Jesus lived that kind of life. The question I have to ask myself, am I living that kind of life as a disciple of Jesus? Jesus led others to live that kind of life. Am I influencing others with the gifts that he gave me to live that kind of life? Jesus leveraged his influence Am I leveraging what influence I have to create a movement for the glory of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something, folks. We have that opportunity with Next Church. Not because Next Church is any better than any other part of the body of Christ. Please don't get me wrong. Somebody walked in this morning and I had a chance to chat with them and they said, boy, you've got great people here. And I just smile. Every time somebody says that, I just smile. Because guess what? I can't take the credit for that. That's all Jesus at work in you. 
I love it. I love it. That's why I'm so privileged and glad to be the pastor of the next church. But what Jesus is doing in you is extraordinary. And we have an extraordinary opportunity. If we will discover those gifts and then donate those gifts for his glory. No one's here by accident. God has put each one of us on this earth to serve a unique purpose. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I, I wouldn't even spend this time. I mean, there's, there's other things that I can do with life. But I believe that so strongly. And I have felt the love and the connection and the grace and the joy that you bring us. I felt that in you. I wouldn't even dream of doing anything else. I believe wholeheartedly in what God is going to do through Next Church. I believe he's raising us up to live a life of impact. I'm not talking about success. I'm not talking about huge. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about impact. And no matter how big or small, no matter how new we are at the faith or anything else, we can today have impact on people's lives. Pray about it. Pray about the 23rd and the 30th plan to stick around and be with us and, and let's just enjoy some time of discovering together what we have been spending as leaders we have literally been spending more than six months praying about dreaming about working on and we believe that that through the example of Jesus Christ we want to follow greatest coach ever and we want to know his game plan and we want to connect with each other. Why wouldn't we? I mean, look around you this morning. Seriously, just take a second and look around. Are these not incredible people? I said, look around. Some of you are staring straight at me. I'm afraid to look. If I, if I look, they may be looking at me. Oh, no. <laughs> these are incredible people. And once we connect and we discover together what it is that God wants us to do, can you imagine how we can serve this community? I mean, seriously. 